Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. Never Ever Give Up Hope is a show about people who have done just that. They never gave up no matter what the circumstances were in their lives. All of my guests have survived incredible circumstances. They are ordinary people who have survived extraordinary things. And as a result, they have the passion to help others who may be going through something similar. Some of my guests have overcome extreme poverty and actually have become multimillionaires because they chose not to give up. Or they have overcome various types of abuse in their childhood or in their adult life and have been able to be a real help to those who are going through the same thing. They have overcome serious depressions and diseases and can share from a perspective of solid, good health. Some have even escaped from fear to the point where it was debilitating. And some have escaped wars from different parts of this globe. And so each of my guests, as you can see, has a story to share with all of you. And I am so thankful as well for my listeners, because without you, we wouldn't have a show. So I thank you for listening. I thank you for your feedback, for your input, and for sharing the show. All of my guests are special. All of them are fighters. All of them are winners. And they want to share their stories with you to give you tips and encouragement and hope that no matter what you are going through, you can overcome it. And not just survive, but thrive. Never Ever Give Up Hope is now heard in over 140 countries. And that just shows me again that no matter where we are on this globe, we need the message of hope. So again, thank you. And today I have with me Charlana Kelly. She is an author of numerous articles and three books, which are entitled, You Are Not Here by Accident. Boy, that's a message that the world needs to hear. The second is Reaching Out with a Message of Hope. Well, she's in the right place there. (laughs) And the third, In Search of the King's Court. Now, Charlana has a gift of encouragement, which we all need to hear. She has a gift of inspiration. She is an entrepreneur, a pastor, a community ministry leader, a podcast host, and CEO of Speak Truth Media Group, LLC. Welcome. Thank you, Carol. It is such a pleasure to be with you and your listeners today. I'd like to start from the beginning because I know that although you have a successful ministry and life and and you've traveled the world, where did it start? When you were a little girl in kindergarten, 
you were given some devastating news. Now tell us how that affected you as a child and then how it affected you as you were growing up. Well, you know, even revisiting these things as I prepared for our interview, I really felt the gravity of what I went through again, even though I've been healed and restored for many years now. And it was a process. It was a journey of many years to get here. But at six, I learned that I was adopted. And, you know, at six years old, you don't really understand uh, what that means. Right. But uh, we had a group of neighborhood kids together. We had been picked up. My mom picked us up from kindergarten and was driving us home. And one of my little neighbor, uh, neighbor friends, a little boy that lived next door, just blurted out, I'm adopted. And, of course, I I don't even remember him saying it. I really don't. And at six, I'm not sure exactly all that I would remember, but it was a nondescript moment for me when he said it. And when we got home, as was custom, my mom put my brother and I down for a nap, and she came in. She sat on the side of my bed, and she told me, she said, Charlana, you, I want you to know David said he was adopted, and I want you to know you're adopted too. Well, at six, you don't even, I, I hadn't, I was like, oh, okay. And she even <clears throat> told me, she said that all I did was hug her neck and say, I'm so glad you are my mommy. Aww. But she went on to tell me that, uh, that I was very loved and wanted. And that I was the fifth child of an unwed mother. <laughs> Again, at six, you have no <laughs> idea what the gravity of that no. is. But, you know, in hindsight, as I've looked back on it and considered it and thought about it, it really did cause me to begin to question some things. I don't know that it was really at the forefront of my thinking uh, in the years that followed that, but I remembered when I was about eight or nine years old, one day, very randomly, I think it must have been on the nightly news, this was my dad's custom to listen to it, I heard someone say that children of unwed mothers were illegitimate and that they were called bastard children. And Carol, I cannot begin to tell you what that word illegitimate did to me at that young age that really set roots in my heart, that set me on a course in my life that would bring me to the point of great devastation. I don't think it was really until I was an adult that I, I understood the gravity of that word illegitimate, that it really put a seed in my heart telling me, you're not legit. You're not. You're not legitimate. You have no right to be, no right to live. Uh, you're, you know, basically going to be a nothing. And that's what I believed, even though I grew up in a home where I was always told, you can be whatever you want to be. You're beautiful. You're talented. We believe in you. I had this thought that I was not legitimate. And so as I progressed through my life into my teenage years, I I felt unloved, unwanted, rejected. Even though I was in a home that I was accepted and loved in, I felt rejected. And so it really, really 
messed up my perception of love. And so I really thought that giving myself away to just anybody was my way of saying that I do love you and I give you everything that I am. I did drugs and alcohol uh, through my teen years. It's a miracle I'm alive today, but I ended up uh, getting pregnant, having an abortion. I mean, I just absolutely had no self-worth, self-value at all. And it wasn't until I was in my 20s and married to my husband of 30 years now, who's an amazing man. I thank God for him every day. But it wasn't until then that God was able to get through to me that I was more than I thought I was because I, I really mistreated myself in the midst of all this. And even after I got married, I mean, I, I think I got married and I thought, oh, well, you know, this will last for a little while and he'll fall out of love with me and he'll reject me like everyone else has. And, and I'll just go on and, you know, see what happens after that. But it was interesting to me that God sent some people into my life to really interrupt me and to get me to see things a little bit different. And I remember a a woman at work who sat with me at lunch, and she was so bold and so kind and so loving. And I don't know if anyone else can relate to this, but when you've made the decision to have an abortion, a lot of times you're so wounded and hurt afterwards, you become defensive and you fight for your right to be right. So I was just fighting for my right to be right and denial and angry and not even knowing why I was angry. But this sweet lady over lunch, the topic came up, and of course, I was almost militant about my opinion concerning it, and uh, she said to me, she said, you know, even if I were raped, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up my baby because that baby is a gift from God, and I would want that child to live, and it was like an arrow into my heart. And oh, my goodness. As things unfolded, it was right around the time there was a Life magazine article with pictures, you know, we're talking late 1980s, probably early 90s, when new technology and medical procedures and things like that, they were able to do in utero shots right. of the womb, and they were on the front of, of Life magazine, and I'm going through the grocery checkout, oh. and there it is, right there in my face, and I, I could no longer deny it, and... So I had to come to terms with my decision to end the pregnancy and end the life of my child, which in and of itself, uh, you might be wondering, how does this all tie into that identity crisis I was having because I thought I was not legitimate? But what happened through the course of this was, as as is true with a lot of people, when we when we make mistakes in our life, we often want to go back and help others not to make the same choice. You know, you see it probably in AA meetings or, you know, Narcotics Anonymous, all of those wonderful programs for people that are struggling with addictions. Oftentimes, they end up being the support group leader, you know, to try to help others come out of that abyss of darkness and devastation and self-destruction. And so for me... 
I decided I was going to help women and young girls that were in the same situation, making the same decision. So I went and volunteered at a local crisis pregnancy center, and I I volunteered there for a couple of years. But through the course of me volunteering there, I had the opportunity to listen to a a video message of a young girl who had an encounter and her name was Abigail and everyone called her Abby. And in this encounter that she had, she believed that she heard that her name was not to be Abby. She was not to be called Abigail because, or Abby because God had named her Abigail. Well, that really hit my heart. And she went on to share what the name Abigail meant. Well, I had a year earlier, my, my mom, who is my adopted mom, but she's my mom, she had come to me and she said, Charlena, I really want you to find your birth mom. And your dad does too. We want you to do this. It's important that you know medical information and things like that. And so, I reluctantly did it, but I have to tell you, I thought that my biological mom, I thought the worst of her. I really did. I thought, you know, she was probably an alcoholic or a drug addict, a loose woman. You know, I'm the fifth child of an unmarried woman, and I just thought, you know, she there wouldn't be much to her, and I didn't want to meet her. And so for a while, I was like, no. I don't care. I don't need that in my life. Not realizing that there was a deep work that needed to be done in me so that I could be restored and, and made whole again. And so at some point I relented and I said, okay, I'll get my non-identifying information. We're talking 1960s for the adoption. Everything's on microfilm. They have to actually print the mic, the documents off and then meticulously hand cut out all identifying information. Well, when I got the package of documents and I went through them and I read them, they were a great blessing to me. I really, the, the biggest blessing was reading the case studies on my own mom and dad and how much they desperately wanted children and how they were considered to be great uh, options for parents, you know, they were uh, a great uh, asset to that particular uh, human services department there in Virginia where I was adopted. So they really put them like at the front of the line to adopt children because of it. But that was a sweet blessing for me. And there wasn't really much in there about my birth family other than what I'd already been told. But I came upon this one little document that had one piece of information that was not cut out. And that piece of information was my name. Now, as far as I knew, I had never been in the custody of my birth mother. I was taken from her at birth and placed into an interim home for 14 days before I went into the care of my mom and dad. But there it was on this document, she had named me. And my name was Elizabeth Ann. Well, I cannot begin to tell you how that made me feel. Mm. I had so many emotions. I was like, who am I? 
Am I Charlana Marie, uh-huh. which was uh-huh. my name, or am I this Elizabeth Ann? Who is this? Why? Why, why, why? All the questions. And it didn't bring me comfort, I have to tell you. It caused even more confusion in my heart. But when I watched that video that day of this young girl, Abigail, and she shared about the significance of her name, what her name meant, and why it was important that she be called Abigail and not Abby, I went straight home and I got a book out and I (laughs) went through that book and I found out all the meanings of my name. And Elizabeth, of course, means sanctified to the Lord and means grace. So that was the name that my birth mother gave me. Charlana is actually Charles and Anna put together again, Anna, grace. And then Marie in French means consecrated to the Lord. And it took my breath away, Carol. It really did. And I realized that I am who I am who I was supposed to be, and it didn't matter whose home I grew up in, I had the name that I was supposed to have either way. And it brought a lot of peace to me, but I still had not settled the question of legitimacy, and it was probably 20 more years up to just recently that I believe that I finally, finally found healing and hope through my life experience, I want to tell you that really quickly. I made contact back then. It was, uh, I was 32, so it's, it's been 24 years ago. I made contact with my birth mother at that time and she, you know, let the social worker know that she had married right after I was born, uh, you know, about a year later, got pregnant, had another child. So I found out I had five brothers, well, four, brothers and sisters and one half brother. Uh, And she'd never told anybody, not even those four kids. They had no idea that she got pregnant and had me. And it was at a point in her life due to illness and things in the family. She just did not want to tell them it wasn't a good time. And I never wanted to barge into anyone's life. And I really just wanted to know who I was, where I came from and who I looked like. So fast forward 20 years, uh, just a few years ago in 2015, uh, I was on a 40-day prayer fast. I was uh, seeking the Lord for a lot of things that were going on in my life, and just prayer, prayer, prayer. I had my big list. In the middle of that whole thing, I get a phone, well, I get an email first uh, from a lady on Facebook. She found me through Facebook, and she said, listen, my half-sister is related to you. Someone in your family is her father, and she just wants to know about her family. Can I connect you with her? Hmm. Well, Carol, I just cannot even begin to tell you how... What a blessing that really was for me because I, that's what I'd always wanted. And this woman who was exactly my same age, she was the daughter of my father. Now, this is my adopted father. She was the daughter of his oldest brother's son. He and her mother got married and were married very briefly. And 
by the time this woman was born, they had already divorced, and he never told our family about it, never told his father, never told any of his uncles or aunts or anything. It was never known that he had gotten married, and there was this child out there. So anyway, long story short, I was so happy. My mom and I, we went through all the family pictures. We got out pictures of her dad and of her grandmother and her grandfather. And the most amazing thing was that her son looked exactly like my dad. <laughs> you know, you know how it will skip around sometimes right, in right. the genes. And it, it really, that even took my breath away. And she, she, you could tell that she was a part of our family because of the nose, different, you know, features on the face. She was definitely a part of our family. And then this son looked exactly like my dad. So uh, we sent her everything we could get. And I remember just crying and crying and crying and being so thankful that I could give her what I so long had desired for myself. You know, it really is, I believe, more of a blessing to give than to receive. But what came of that is very interesting. And the woman who located me for her sister, her half-sister, was what they call a search angel. And it's just her ministry. She helps people find their families, and there's no fee or anything. It's just a part of what she does. And I, after a lot of prayer, I asked her if she would make contact for me. My husband and I recently, uh, in the past five years, we moved to Texas from Florida. And before I left Florida, I felt, you know, really strong in my heart to send another letter to my birth mom because I didn't want her to carry the shame, the regret, the right. questions. Right. And I really felt like she needed to know that I had had a blessed life, a good life, a uh, that she made the best decision for me, really. She did. She gave me the greatest gift. It was absolutely the plan for my life. And I just wanted her to be released from any guilt or shame or regret. And uh, so I did. I sent that letter off to her before we moved. Uh, so I knew where she was. And I knew where one of my brothers was at and how to get in contact with him. So I had this beautiful lady, this search angel, reach out and make contact with him. And he he was very open, but he was just certain that... He thought maybe we had the same father, but there was absolutely no way that we had the same mother. And so uh, he was open to talking to me. And when I finally got to talk to him, he's just a few years older than me. He was the youngest of the original four. And uh, he was so fatherly and so kind and so gentle with me. And I was a nervous wreck, I have to tell you. Mm. But I asked him, he was just still adamant that, our, that we didn't have the same mother. And I said, well, would you be willing to talk to a social worker? And he said, absolutely, I'll talk to her. So 
this social worker didn't just talk to him. She called the other three as well. And there were mixed emotions among them because not one of them knew that their mother had been pregnant. Uh And, uh, you know, there was a little anger with the oldest and uh, the two girls were like, they were unsure. And really the youngest was, I think, the most compassionate towards me and, and loving But what they did, the social worker called each one and confirmed that, yes, we did have the same mother. And I can imagine how devastating that was for them to know. A lot of emotions in that. But there's an attorney in the family, and one of my sisters called the attorney, and she said, you know, this woman has shown up. She says she's our sister. The social worker says she's our sister and that we all have the same mother, And I want to know what we can do to make sure. Uh And so Linda, who's the attorney, she said, well, you could get a DNA test, but I can tell you she is your sister. And I've always known you had a sister. (laughs) And so that was just a real whoa moment, I think, a lot of emotions. And so my sister called me that night and she said are you are you ready for this you know so she told me the story which I thought are you okay because I've always known you know I've known since I was you know 32 24 years ago Mm -hmm. and and are you okay and the coolest thing about all of this is that my oldest sister herself is married to a minister we look exactly alike we could be twins. My word. She is, you know, about seven years older than me. But, uh, you know, there was no denying when I got those pictures and I was able to see my family for the first time and know mm. who I'd been named after, uh, it just brought a lot of peace to me. And uh, as as life does so often provide so many opportunities, I did get to see them over a year ago. I was going to Washington, D.C. for uh, some ministerial business. And and so I thought, well, I'm going to be right there by Richmond, Virginia, where they live. I'll just, we'll have lunch. And they didn't want to tell their mother, uh, or my mother too, for that matter, about getting in touch with me. They were afraid because she was uh, 87 at the time. They were concerned about health and things like that. But the night before I go down to meet my sister, Anita, she finally said something to our mom. And with big tears in her eyes, she she admitted, you know, that, yes, she wanted to meet me. Yes, she did have a baby. Yes, she did conceal it. Yes, all of the things. And it brought me so much peace to know that her secret was released yeah she wasn't carrying that anymore and i got to meet her spend time with her love on her and for the first time i realized that she wasn't the woman that i thought she was really that she was a woman caught in circumstance that she did the best that she could she did make the best decision for me and that you know, I found my legitimacy, obviously, in my in my relationship with with uh, with God and in my faith. I found my legitimacy there and uh, found the healing that I needed. But it was like coming full circle. So, 
You know, I think the the biggest thing for me and and battered hope is that you know as a child you you're wide eyed and you just believe everything and how how identity is so key to our success and our happiness and how life sometimes can come in and and try to steal that that joy from you and how often it is that it's our identity that plays such a key role in in living the life that we so dream and, and desire to live. Because I think one of the things that is so important is that we know who we are, where we came from, and find that purpose that we have here in our life. You know, there's a purpose for living. There's something good that we are to do while we're here. And most people desire that. You know, and you're not ever going to find it and fulfill it until you really understand who you are and come to terms with your gifts and talents and, and your, your abilities and your beauty and all the things that are good that are in us to be expressed to the whole world. So my journey was one of finding my identity, my true identity. And accepting that, even though I'd made a whole lot of mistakes and messed up so many things because I, I had that false sense of, of, uh, validity or, or value, uh, that through it all, through it all, through day by day, trying to do what was right and being the best that I could to everyone around me and, and helping others find what I so desperately wanted to find, I walked right in to the greatest restoration of my life to bring wholeness finally to me and find the true identity that I've had all along. Well, my goodness, that was quite the story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we it started- has been a journey. <laughs> know what I meant as I asked you about kindergarten and here we are all the way to today (laughs) all the way to today so let's back up for a moment it is often said and I'm sure that you have thought about this in your own situation that circumstances in our life things that we have endured things that we have enjoyed things that we that have happened in our lives form who we are and who we become have you ever thought about what might have happened if the scenario was one where you had never found out you were adopted i have thought about that i'm glad that i knew yes okay i i believe that it's good to know you know i don't i don't I'm not upset with my mom for anything she told me, but in hindsight, probably wasn't good at six years old to know as much as I did, but I would want to know. One of the reasons I ask is we adopted a, a baby at three days old, and it was at a time when adoption was probably similar to your experience mm-hmm. where it was not uh, open adoption. It was just previous to open adoptions in, in the United States. And so there was a lot of, a lot of fear, I think, in telling your children at some point. And many people that I know never did find out. So I am glad that you did find out. I am sorry that you had to go through what you did. But again, in hindsight, you wouldn't be who you are. 
and you wouldn't be able to help people because of your experiences unless you had had that experience. And so I thank you for sharing that. Also, was there something else going on in your teenage years besides the, you know, this knowledge that you received as a six-year-old and that threw you into such devastating pain. Do you believe, looking back, that there was something else going on in your life that you needed to deal with before you could become the person you were meant to be? Yes, it would be my relationship with my dad. My father was a very successful, wealthy man who himself had been devastated as a child. He grew up in the Depression years when families were just scattered because of financial difficulty and then the war and all of that. And actually, he had not been molested by a priest, but there had been some advances made to him by a Catholic priest when he was you know, a young man in his early, early teens. But so because of that, he didn't have a father figure in his life, and he did not, could not support us in that emotional way that we needed to. And Uh I think that that was another devastating blow to me as a child and then a teenager that I did not have the kind of support that I needed from a father. That makes a lot of sense. And yes. Uh, yes, thank you. Finding your true identity, I really appreciate it. When you said that, it really struck a chord, and I know it will strike a chord with many people. Let's take that and lead into your books, because one of them is You Are Not Here by Accident. And I believe that that goes right along with finding your true identity. So tell us about your books. Well, the first book, I'll end with You Are Not Here by Accident because it is the most recent. The first book I wrote, In Search of the King's Court, is somewhat of a devotional. But from the time I was a little girl, I always thought I was supposed to be a princess. And so I couldn't figure out why. (laughs) You know, I was born in America. I always felt like I was displaced, somehow born in the wrong era. I'm sure many people can relate to that. So I was always looking for the knight in shining armor, as many young girls are. We want to know that someone loves us enough to die for us. And it really is about my search for the king. You know, I didn't know that it was going to be a king that I was looking for. I just thought it was going to be a man, quote unquote, who would love me enough to die for me. But in that search, I, of course, found the king of kings. And so it really is about my journey there. The second book, my heart has always been for people. I love people. I am, I would say I am driven towards trying to help people learn and grow in their life and be the best that they can be. And so I've, throughout my life, spent a lot of times of time ministering to women in homeless shelters, on the street, prostitutes, drug addicts, in transition, and probably some of my most fulfilling years were ministering to 
women in prison. So that second book, Reaching Out with a Message of Hope, was really about teaching and training people how to minister to people, giving them hope. You know, everyone, I can quote a scripture, uh, and I don't, I don't want to be preachy here at all, but a lot of people know Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. You know, there's a hope and a plan and a future, and it's good that is for each one of us. And actually, hope means an earnest expectation of future good. And so when someone becomes hopeless, it's because they've lost their expectation of good. And I believe that one of the things that that I am so driven to do is to let people know that there is a better way, a better plan, a good plan, and I want to help you find it. So that book was about helping people find hope and knowing that there's a good future planned for them. Now, this last book, most recent book, You Are Not Here by Accident, really came out of my heart in a very quick manner, realizing uh, I do believe my finding my birth family played into it to some degree, but understanding that people a lot of times think they're random. I believe a lot of women that I met throughout my life in different places, you know, prison, the street, homeless shelters, they just live their life by default as though there's nothing, you know, it's just whatever's going to happen next is going to happen. I have no ability to make different decisions and change things or, you know, it's just random. I'm here. I just, you know, okay, I'm here. It's just a random thing. There's nothing random about any one of us. Each one of us, I believe, is here, supposed to be here, and there's something that we are supposed to be doing to bring good and blessing and love to one another. And so you are not here by accident. It's really meant to keep get people up and moving and seeing themselves differently and beginning to helping them to react and relate to one another in a different way. It's It really is all about understanding how uniquely beautiful and precious each one of us really are. And is that written as a self-help? You know, I I believe that I, I put it into more of a, I guess, you know, it would be self-help. I don't know that that's the actual category that it is in, but definitely realizing who you are, embracing it. And at the end of each chapter, there are some exercises that the reader can do to really develop their understanding of their identity and their purpose and uh, so it is, it would be a self-help in that, in that manner. And how long has it been out? Actually, it was released in January of this year. You know, I decided to be my own self-publisher for this one. The other two had come out of other publishing houses, and, and they're available on Amazon and all of that. But I really felt to Speak Truth Media, the company that I'm, I am the CEO of, that that company was to do all of the work. I myself have written curriculum and programs and articles, as you mentioned, and books and actually educational programs over the past 15 years. And 
I I just felt that it was time for me to be my own publisher, and that's what I did, which means I'm my own marketer and all those wonderful things. So I travel and speak quite a bit. I'll be in Tennessee and Mississippi here in just a few weeks speaking at some special events and summits and things. So I always just take my books with me, and, and whoever's there buys them, and so all is well. They're available. And we actually released uh, that book in Spanish. It's the first book that I've I've released in Spanish. So there is that version available as well. You come across as a very warm, compassionate, kind person who is true to her passion, and that is to help others. And just what you shared, even at the end here, the different aspects that you are involved in, and both in speaking and writing. Have you ever been a coach as well? You strike me as as you've done some coaching too, or no? I think I have been a coach for, I don't have that title. (laughs) I I don't present myself in that way, but it's so funny when people, I was just at a Women's Aglow and spoke at that not long ago, and... People are like, I really need to talk to you. And I said, well, write your number down. We'll get together. And they're like, you're so busy. And I'm like, you know what? People are my passion. I don't care how busy I am. So I would say I probably have been coaching for many, many, many years. I'm just not an official coach. (laughs) That's what could see. Now, that's what came across without you even saying it. So people can buy your book. People can connect with you. You are available. There are people also who are going to relate possibly tearfully with your uh, story as a little girl, possibly either as the adoptive parent, the adoptee. We never know who we are going to touch and what hearts we are going to be able to, to warm by sharing our past. And so I thank you for doing that with with all the passion and compassion that you showed. I also am very pleased to hear that you were able to make that connection with your your birth family. And that's that's a whole new arena that is going to continue now that you're walking into and who knows what's all going to come of that. And I'm I'm excited for you and for your siblings because there's they're so pleased to have met this wonderful person in you, I am sure. I'm glad that another thing that did not come through at all was any kind of bitterness on your part and it looks like there's going to be that pure connection with your family as well without there being this uh, remorse or or you know the pain of the past and you're the type of person that you could probably help heal those any of those wounds because of your warmth and your compassion so i thank you for giving that message of hope today. I thank you for sharing from your heart. I thank you for sharing your books. This is now where we are going to definitely want people to take a look at and your books are available. We will have all that information in your show notes. Anything else that you would like to share in closing and also if there's anything you want to share about your Speak Truth media group. Well, first, I, first, I'm honored, number one, to be here with you, Carol. I am so grateful for the opportunity, and I thank you for that. 
Secondly, I would want everyone who listens to this to know that there is hope and that there is a good future. And, you know, just believe, just believe and begin to look for it. I was thinking the other day that Uh. expectation is the magnet of our faith or what we believe. What we expect to come to pass will come to pass. We just have to change our thinking and our line of sight to begin to watch for those things. And I want to encourage them to just believe that things can be different, that there is hope, there is healing, there is restoration, and that they are worthy and valuable to receive that. I really want everyone to know that. And as far as Speak Truth Media, we have some things coming up. I'm in, in, uh, in project right now with a television program. It's going to be called Engage for Influence, Shifting Culture with Communication. We are in development for that right now. We're going to start shooting hopefully within the next month. And that will actually be the title of the next book that comes out. And I am super excited about it. This program is actually going to be on Grace TV, which originates in India, which is a little different, but it reaches the entire 1040 window, and that really makes me happy. So Engage for Influence is the project we're working on right now, and it will be released on my Facebook page and Twitter and all that when it's coming out, so can get updates on that there. Thank you so much. You have been an absolute delight, and thank you for all the input. Thank you. So we will definitely keep your page updated, and hopefully people will connect with you on a variety of levels. Thank you again for being on Never Ever, Ever Give Up Hope. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope, featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.